You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, October 15, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. I'm going to do a little bit of an audible here for a second. I know y'all probably cringe every time I say that. I want to read an email. This will only take me a second, I promise. All righty, this was an email sent out on Monday, October 9th, from our friend Dennis Carp. If, if you don't get his, if you get his uh, emails, I'm sure you've already read this, but I think there's some, some interesting things in here. First of all, he starts out with Shalom. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Psalm 122.6. And he says this. He says, I normally send out a short devotional thought on Tuesdays, but I feel the need to write you today about what is happening in Israel right now and bring some of my thoughts to you. This may not be short, and I may ramble, so bear with me. And actually, it's not really that long. As of this morning, Israel is sending multiple planes to Gaza to destroy anything that has anything to do with Hamas. Also, rockets that are now being sent to Jerusalem have been struck down in parts of the city. In addition, Halosaba has fired rockets from the north, and a few militants have entered Israel. The country is on lockdown. People are living in bomb shelters. Almost all all the flights in Israel have been canceled and stores and banks are closed. Add to all this, our son Samuel is deployed to the border with Lebanon. So how did all this happen? This has been planned for, for a while now. Iran has been the mastermind and has been revealed by both Hamas and Halusaba spokespeople. It started out with outbreaks in the West Bank villages that have been escalating to violence for the last few months. Israel started moving some of its military and men and machines to these areas because of the violence. This pulled people and the resources from the southern border. Whether Israel was asleep at the wheel or intelligence has failed miserably, Hamas then attacked the southern border by blowing up seven sections of the border fence, sending in thousands of fighters to kill civilians, and take them hostage to Gaza and by sending thousands of rockets into Israel all at the same time. This was followed by bulldozing parts of the security fence. The firing these rockets all at once is an important part of the plan that forced Israel to use most of, its, most of their ammunition on the Iron Dome defense mechanisms, which they now have left greatly reduced amounts of ammunition for them. They have asked the United States for funds to buy more, but will take time even if the U.S. says yes. So now if Halosaba attacks from the north with more sophisticated and long-range missiles, Israel has to find another way to defend itself. This does not bode well for Israel, and it has to to fight a war on two fronts that is backed by Iran. The U.S. has moved an attack fleet to the Mediterranean Sea, is a, a deterrent, but I highly doubt that this will actively participate in any of the fighting in the North. Some say if they do, this will be the start of World War III, but I am not of that opinion. For while the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force, takes care of the situation in Gaza, they are capable of doing just that. 
Keep your eyes on the north and pray that they are not part of Iran's plans to destroy Israel. Whereas Tina, as for Tina and me, we are greatly concerned for our son. The phones, the soldiers are turned off, so we have not heard from him in two days. His role in the north is a sniper, and we pray for him all day. Their scheduled move to Israel on October 25th is also up in the air. Will there be flights? Should we leave now? Will our shipments of goods be able to sail into the port of Ashbod or Ashdod? We have no answers for any of these questions. Part of me wants to do what is the safest, and part of me wants to be there and help in any way that I can. This in, this in between land, and I find myself a very uncomfortable and, and totally new to me. Your prayers are most welcomed. Now this is not the time to have Bible studies in the last days and decide this is the beginning of the war with Gog and Magog. Now is the time to pray for the Lord of all creation, protects his people Israel, and all the innocent individuals on both sides of the conflict. Thank you for your prayers and support. Meyer Dennis and Tina Carp. I read this now because I am going to get to the sermon. It's, it's, it's not going to, I promise this is not going to be. But there, there are things, even since this email was sent out, that we really, really need to be watching. And I know you're saying that you know, this isn't a time to be looking at the Gog-Magog thing. But if there was ever a time in history where I've seen the signs of the, return, the imminent return of Christ, it may very well be now. Again, I've said I am not a henny-penny guy. I've said that, I mean that. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not like, I know there's some popular ministers that turn every, every world event into a last time, end time scenario. I'm not that guy. But we really need to be praying for Israel at this time. I, I mean, not, not, <clears throat> I don't mean this in, in the way that we so often in the West, we say, hey, I'll pray for you. And it, and it might be a five-minute prayer if you do even that. This is not the time to be that Christian. It's not that time for us to be that church. We really need to get serious about praying for Israel because so many things are going on around too. First of all, like, Hello Sabah and, and Hamas, like, they had both admitted Iran, this was Iran's, they funded it, they planned it. Because that was one of the first things we had to ask, you know, how in the world did these, these terrorist yahoos pull this off? How did they figure this out? I mean, it was genius. You, you know, that, that, that's, and, and what's going on even now, <clears throat> if you don't follow the news closely, Ukraine had been beating down Russia pretty bad. So guess who sent guess who sent weaponized drones to Russia to help with their 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 war with Ukraine? Iran. So we also see Iran being the mastermind behind this attack in Israel. We see Iran now stroking the bear from the north, forming alliances. That's a very dangerous alliance. Iran, Iran and Russia now, and now if, when I was looking in the news yesterday, 
We are now toe-to-toe with Russia in Ukraine. We're this close. We're this close to being in the middle of the fight in Ukraine. We have Putin saying that he has interest in starting the war in someplace else in the world. You, you, you know, so when when you see when you see this 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 alliance between Russia and Iran, Iran coincidentally, uh, if, if you're not if you're not familiar with the history, Iran is the the the, the old Persia. You, you know when the you know when the Persians had, had taken over Jerusalem, that, that's who Iran is. This, this battle between the, the Israelites and the people in Gaza, do you, do, you, do you understand the history behind How did Palestine get its name? Does anybody know how Palestine got its name? The Romans started calling Palestine, Palestine. It's because they were the old Philistines. Do you see how this is, do you see how... This whole front of this book, the history of Israel, they're, they're fighting with the Philistines. They're fighting with Persia. Now the, the great bear in the north has, has, has struck up an interest in what's going on there. And again, I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying this is the Gog, Magog scenario. I'm not. I don't know that. Only God knows that. But Jesus also told us that, he, that we would see signs. We see signs. And even the, all the nations coming against Israel. I had to stop watching CNN. And I'm not using the pulpit to bash CNN. But I saw what I see what the reporting is. It's villainizing Israel. You know, they're like all all the poor Gazans. I, I, I mean, these horrible Israel Israelites are are doing this this to the these poor people in Gaza. But what what you don't see, and if you dig hard enough in the internet, you can even go to some of the social media from from the Prime Minister of, of Israel. He posts something. You don't see what happened in Israel. You don't, we don't see in their pictures, and you can find it if, if for some strange reason you want to see it. But they, they're not showing the beheaded babies and the babies riddled with, with, with bullets and being burned. You, 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 know, you don't understand what they did to Israel. So it would seem, it, it would seem from the CNN viewpoint, oh yeah, that, those, those people in Israel, they're, they're just... They're defending themselves, folks. And now's not the time to buy into what, 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 what the left is saying, that this is just some, some, some punishment from Israel. What, what happened in Israel, I have no idea. You, you know, why all of this is happening, I, I just don't know. You know... Is this just like the days of exile? Has, has, has Israel done something that, and, and God is dealing with her? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is regardless of what's going on, the Abrahamic covenant still stands. 
We are still to pray for Israel. Israel is still the apple of God's eye. Jerusalem is still where Jesus chooses to return, the Mount of Olives. This is scary, scary times. And, and, and I really, I don't want to be, we talked about in Romans, we talked about in Romans recently, don't be caught sleeping. I don't want to be caught sleeping in this. I want to make sure that I, I hold on to and we hold on to what the Bible tells us, which side to be on. Because I tell you, this, this, whole, thing with, this, this whole thing with the way the media is portraying you know, the, you know, Israel as being the villain here, it's getting sympathy. I, it bothers me. It bothers me that children are dying on both sides. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's good. It's not good. Innocent people on both sides are dying. But what I am saying is we can't allow this whole situation of, of the way the media is portraying us for, to get us to gain sympathy for the terrorists. I'll tell you something Israel does. I've never heard anybody do it. And they do it all the time. Anytime they've gone into, gone into Gaza or anytime they've shot rocks, they usually give 24 hours notice. Who does that? You know, they're doing their best to minimize, you know, civilian, civilian carnage, but, it, but it's just, unfortunately, it's war. But we, I, I just want to go into a short period of prayer, even before we get into this, this, this sermon. I, I promise the sermon won't be long. Because we need God. We need God to save his people. We do. We have friends there. We, we, we do. They're, 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 the, the nation itself is one of our closest allies. I can assure you, with some of the stuff that we do as a nation, probably the only thing the only thing that has saved us to this point is our relationship with Israel. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that we've done, some of the stuff we're okay with, some of the things we legalize. I think the only thing that has saved our bacon so far has been our relationship with Israel. I can assure you God doesn't take this lightly. Think about this, Persia, the bear from the north, the Philistines. It's all, it's just like history repeating itself. I've been very troubled in spirit ever since this has happened. I mean, almost to the point of distraction, because this bothers me a lot, what's going on. Well, let me tell you something about God, though. When I picked the hymns this morning, or the songs this morning, to be honest, I, I picked Great Is Thy Faithfulness because it's my favorite hymn. It, it, it just is. I do have a favorite hymn, believe it or not. I love Great Is Thy Faithfulness. There's a lot of them I do love a lot. But as the song was playing, it just quickened back to my, my heart, my mind. 
What is the origin of that passage? Great is thy faithfulness. It's when, it's when Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was lamenting over Israel. When he was, he was weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, even though all this stuff, this bad stuff's happening, even though what I'm seeing, I, I, I probably can't even, I can't even imagine in my lifetime ever seeing anything as bad. I imagine the people in Israel right now are, probably have a similar picture in their minds. But Jeremiah still, still had the spiritual maturity and, and, and strength to say, but great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies. I see. You know, there's great wisdom and great strength in this word. But let's just take a few moments just, 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 just to stop, pause, and pray for our friend. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Father, our hearts are troubled. I can't imagine what your people are going through. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have been at a music festival and having these, these guys come in and kill 240 people right in front of me and drag off more. We see the we see the the call for the husbands and the wives asking for the release of their family. The fathers. God, I, I, just because of the nature of who we know that these terrorists are, the only way they're going to make it out alive, God, is if you intervene. Israel's a tough nation. We send people there all the time, Lord, to learn their tactics. They're, they're good at what they do. But even they don't have the ability to rescue these folks, not without you. God, and I, I do pray. I do pray for our enemies and assists. God, they're, they're, but, they're but puppets in the hands of Satan right now. That's who's really after Israel. It's not Iran. It's not Halusabah. It's not Hamas. Satan's after your, your people. These nations are just tools. God, I ask that you keep your people safe. I think of Gideon, Lord. Was the Israeli army, the IDF, God, make them all like make them all like Gideon. When they grow tired, give them strength. 
strengthen their fingers for battle, God. God, for even for the innocents on both sides, God, make a way to make, to let them escape, God. But those who have made war, those who have the hardened hearts, who've made war against your people, God, may, may your people find them. May your people find them. You are their judge, not us, God. That's why we need your will to be done here. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of your entire nation. And God, may we not waver in our love and our support and our, our friendship with this nation. God, I ask you to step in in a way that only you can. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we adore you. We praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll pull this back up. I don't know if you've even seen in our higher education system, which I'm a part of, I didn't see this at our school, but some of our prominent universities have been allowing pro-Hamas demonstrations. I mean, we're talking like Georgetown. We're talking places in D.C., It just blows me away. You know, Eric's dad said that he had one wish before he died. It would have been the end of anti-Semitism. Wouldn't that be a great? Wouldn't that be a great thing for us to see? Herb may not have seen it in his lifetime. He will when he comes back. When he when he returns with when he returns with my Jesus, I am excited about that. Do we have a do we have a PowerPoint? Ah, hot dog. The weak and the strong. This this, this is we're we're picking up where we left off last week, and this is a. This is a perfect example of what I've talked about, the kind of the way the Bible's structured. You know how, like, like when, when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, it's just one letter with a continuous thought. And that's why it's been kind of cool, you know, the way that we've gone through Romans, because it kind of makes sense when you put everything into perspective and you line things up in one continuous thought from week to week to week, because that's the way it was intended. But I've also said, for that reason, whenever you study the Bible, you don't want to just stop and look at a chapter or look at the little, the little titles in the pericope. The pericope are the smaller sections inside the chapters and, and, and say, well, that's, that's just what 
You know, like, like with Proverbs 1, purpose and theme. Well, if, 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 I just, if, if, if I just wanted to talk about purpose and theme, I'm just going to read this one little pericope. This is, a, this is a chapter break. Between Romans 14 and Romans 15, there was a break in the chapter, and guess what? It's still talking about the weak and the strong. You know, why, why that break was there, I have no idea. But when we study the Bible, when there's a passage that you're looking at, you want to read what's before it, you want to read what's after it, because if you, if you want to truly understand the, the thought behind it, and if, you're, and if you really want to, and if you want to be that overachiever, which isn't a bad thing, you need to read at least the pericope before or after, if not the chapter before or after. The only way you're really even going to fully understand the context is if you just read the entire book. You know, read the. I mean, that's that's really the best way to get kind of kind of get the context or where the the author what was was going when God was was when when he was leading these 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 writers to, to write this stuff down. The only way to truly understand the context and the flow is the entire book. But 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 I would recommend at the very very minimum reading the pericope before or after. So what did we talk about last week? You know, the weak and the strong. We talked about the people of, you know, stronger faith, you know, aren't to look down on the, the, those who are weaker and vice versa, you know, don't argue about stupid stuff. You know, we, talk, we spend a lot of time on that. Churches fight over stupid stuff. We fight over the, the, the kind of the theology of the Trinity, the, you, you, know, you, you know, the theology of Pentecost, the theology of this, the theology of that. We like to fight over things. But the only thing that we should take a hard line on and say, absolutely not, I stand on this thing. We, can, we need to agree to disagree with many things, but the fact that Jesus is Messiah and the only way to God, that's the one thing you have to take a stand on. And, and the reason that you have to is because there, there's, this, there's a lot of isms out there. You know, and, and there's a thing called universalism. And what is that? It's, people think that, that, that there are multiple paths to God. You know, that they, that they can get to heaven and be with God through multiple paths. Even, even you know, Oprah Winfrey, we've all quoted some of the, the doozies she said over the years, but even Oprah Winfrey, is one of her biggest doozies was, oh, there's, there's multiple paths to God. No, there's not. There's one, and it's Jesus. So you can agree to disagree with the Assemblies of God about Pentecost. You can agree to disagree between, you know, what type of music that should be played. You can agree to disagree about the way you dress or the things that you eat. You can agree to disagree about all these things, but you do have to take a hard line on Jesus. Because Paul told us to not quarrel over disputable things. Jesus is not a disputable thing. That's a hard line. What's the difference between theology and dogma? Dogma is the things where you cannot, you cannot give on, or doctrine, excuse me. Doctrine and dogma. Doctrine is kind of, we, our Baptist doctrine, we have, a certain, we have a certain set of beliefs, things that we believe that, that can be disputed amongst other denominations, but dogma is the things that you cannot give on. The fact, that, the, 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 the fact that Jesus is the only way is one. 
The fact that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be given on that one. That's in the Bible. It's an important part of the Bible because the Old Testament used that as, as, as a predictor or a pointer to who the Messiah is. So we need to have dogma about the fact that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. We need to have dogma about the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. He was the only person who ever came, fully God, fully man, who lived a sinless life. When he went to the cross for us and paid for our sins, the only reason he was able to do that was because he was sin-free. He, became, he was made sin for us so that our sins could be wiped away. We can't take, we can't, we can't give on that. That's dogma. That's not a disputable matter. That's not, that's not one of these theologies we can, we can d- debate over or, or discuss. We, we can't debate over the fact that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and, and rose again. We can't dispute over that. That is dogma. Why? Because if it didn't happen, Paul would say we're the saddest bunch of people out there because that's where we lay all of our hope in. Did it happen? It absolutely happened. I've talked a lot about apologetics since I've been here. Proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. There is no giving on that. Aside from all of the evidence that we see in the witnesses and all the different forensic evidence that we see in the Bible, the fact that Jesus is alive again, I can tell you I am one way, I was one way before Jesus, and I am another way after Jesus, and a dead Jesus couldn't have made that change in me. I didn't even ask for it. When I just said, Jesus, I need you, he started making those changes. A dead Jesus doesn't do that. Only a living Jesus does that. So we can't give, we can't give any wiggle room on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't even give any wiggle room on the fact that he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of my Father in heaven. And I'll tell you something that's special, and we, we, just what we've been talking about now with all the stuff going on in the Middle East, dogma is that he is coming again. When everything seems lost, For his people in Israel, he will split the sky and rescue them. That's going to happen. As sure as I'm standing here, it's going to happen. He will not let his people fall. Jesus himself is going to save them. Dogma. Then after a millennial reign, there will be a short period where that old snaggletooth devil is released again for a short period of time. And then the end comes. The end comes. And that's when the, the dead are judged. That's, 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 that's when believers are rewarded, rewarded for their relationship with Christ and those who've rejected the free gift of Christ suffer eternal punishment. That's dogma. No giving on that. So when... When Paul was talking about, in our last week lesson, about these disputable things, you can't, you can't give on Jesus anything about him. We can agree to disagree with other denominations. We can love them, we can serve with them, we can feed 
hungry people and, and, and shelter the homeless with them. We're called, we're one body of Christ. We are to serve with those who we don't even agree with. But we can't give on Jesus. Continuing on Romans 15, 1 through 3, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, for it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. We who are strong ought not to, to bear the failings of the weak. Have you ever seen where new believers or people who haven't been there, been, been walking with the Lord as long as we have, where they've made mistakes and we'd be like, hmm? You should have known better. You had Jesus in your heart. Sometimes, sometimes we may even go as far as, I wonder if they're even saved for real. Well, you know what? For those that are weak in the faith, who are new in the faith, we are to pick them up and to build them up. Not, not judge when they do stupid things. Because you want to know what? I've been serving the Lord since 1987, and I still do stupid things. It's just true. I'm still human. So why would I have a higher expectation for those that are new in the faith than what I have for myself? Build them up, church. You want to know, and this... You want to know what, here, here's some of the best stuff I ever learned in seminary. It's about discipleship. If you really, truly want to be growing in the Lord, you should have two relationships in your life. You need to find somebody who's farther along in their walk with Christ than you are and listen to them. Talk to them. Kind of, kind of take their lead on certain things. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord, you need a mentor. I've been serving the Lord again since 87. I have a doctorate. I need a mentor. There are people I go to when I have questions. There are people that I go to that I know have been in places that I haven't, and I look for their advice. It doesn't matter who you are. Like I said, the pastor of the church needs a mentor. Here's the other relationship that you need to have. You need to find somebody who's not as far along as you are and bring them with you. You should be a mentor. You need a mentor. You need, you need, you need these relationships and discipleship in the community. Why do we even have church why are we a body of Christ? It's because we're all supposed to work together in this thing. Why is it said that, that, that we should not forsake the assembling of God's people as some are, are, are kind of prone to do? Why do we not, why do we not just, just stray away from the assembly? Because we need one another. We need each other to build one another up. We have seen what it's like even in this building, when the church turns on itself, what happens? We should be building each other up, 
not tearing each other down. We should be looking at the strengths in each other's and not the weaknesses in each other. And we should be focusing on those and helping each other with those weaknesses. That is what the weak and the strong, that's the way they're supposed to work together. Stop criticizing that person to the left and to the right and build them up in the name of Jesus. That's how the weak become strong. By having good witnesses and good people in their lives to help bring them to where they are. It's to help educate them in the Word of God. There are some folks that just keep drinking milk for decades, but then there's those who eat meat. What am I talking about? The spiritual milk drinkers, they're, they're, they, they just, they're, they're kind of shallow. They're kind of on the outside. They're trying to work in. They're trying to get smarter, but they never really get into the deep things of God. But then the meat eaters are the ones that really get into things like the prophets, and just to learn, what is God saying through the prophets? Because I'm going to tell you, the words to the prophets were meant directly to, it was intended initially for the people of Israel, for the situations that they were going through. They were warnings, they were instructions, they were calling back. But I'm telling you that the words of the prophets are just as applicable to us as they were to Israel back before the coming of Christ. When Jesus said, I sing over you. No, when, when, when Yahweh said, I sing over you in the mornings. That still applies. When the prophet said, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. It still applies. The words of David. You want to get real about emotion? You want to stop drinking milk and start eating meat? Read David. This guy was deep. This guy wasn't afraid of his emotions. This guy wasn't afraid to admit, I'm scared. This guy wasn't afraid to admit, I'm in over my head. This guy wasn't afraid to admit, God, it seems like I'm praying to you and maybe my, my, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling because he would say, God, why have you departed? Why have you taken your hand from me? God never took his hand from him. But it felt like it. That's how you get to eat meat, is to learn from King David and his responses. You know the whole David Bathsheba thing? The thing that blows me away, and this is what makes him, this is what makes him a, 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 a man after God's own heart. Even when he was screwing up in the most worst possible imaginable ways I can imagine. The Bathsheba time, killing her husband, trying to hide the pregnancy, all those things. That was a bad time in his life. But when Nathan called him on the carpet about it, God sent Nathan with a story. And once David realized, once, once Nathan said, this story's about you, he repented. He always returned to God. That's what made David. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. I'm convinced of it. Because sometimes when we backslide, we all backslide. We just do. 
You may have a new nature. You may be a new creation, but you still wrangle with this fleshly vessel that you live inside. So we all backslide. Some of us choose to continue to go farther and farther away from God. Even when we have brothers and sisters say, come back. We might even get mad. Say, you have no right to say that to me. But David, when he was called on the carpet and God opened his eyes, he said, God, I am so sorry. Wrote a psalm of repentance. It just, it just blows my mind. Clean me with hyacinth. Save me from blood guilt. It is, it's against you and you alone that I've sinned. David gets it. So much wisdom. We need to lift one another up. Because when we're tearing each other down, we're working for the other side. there's somebody in this church you want to tear down, you're not speaking God's words in their life. You're speaking hell's words in their life. God, forgive us. For everything written that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might, that we might have hope. Everything, nothing that was written here was an accident. The book of Job. Could you imagine living in his life? Could you imagine... Always honoring God and having everything taken from you like that. Having your family, all but your wife, having your entire family wiped out. Everything that God had given you, your flocks, your home, gone. Your health, gone. Just like that. Why is it written? Because it gives us the encouragement to know that sometimes even our suffering has a purpose. It shows us that just like Job, we have the ability to not curse God in these moments. Do you think it would be easy if you were living in Jerusalem right now or Tel Aviv? To be mad at God and say, how could this happen? Do you think maybe somebody even weak in their faith may even want to curse God over what has happened? If, there's a, if they are human, I guarantee it crossed their minds. But we see the, the worst case scenario. And we see that the believer in Yahweh can still stand when everything else is falling around them. They can still refuse to speak out against my God. 
even when the world and your friends are telling you that you've done something stupid or God is punishing you, to still stand and refuse to lay blame where it doesn't belong. Jonah. My favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. You can run from God. God might tell you to do something really, really hard, like go to your enemy and preach against the city so that God will save them. And you might think that you're smart enough to get away from God. But then he sends a great fish. You can't escape God. You can't escape the thing that he's called you to do. You know the saddest part of the story of Jonah? Do you realize the book of Jonah isn't even the first time that we see Jonah? We see him in the book of Kings. We see Jonah, we see God using Jonah in a mighty way, telling, telling the king of Israel to, 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 to reinforce this one area because a battle's coming, and he did, and Israel was saved. But the saddest thing about Jonah's story is we see after Nineveh was saved, and he's sitting on the hillside being like, what just happened? God, how could this happen? And God calls the plant to, to shade him, and he's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me the shade. And they sent the worm. He sent the worm to kill the shade. And I was like, God, what are you doing now? And God's like, hey, you, th you think that this, this little shade thing was so important? How much more important are these people down in Nineveh? But the saddest part of that story is we don't know what happened to Jonah after that. He drops off the radar. Did he go on and continue to be a champion for God, or did he just say, I've had enough? We don't know. But we do know, we've learned, we, we are encouraged by the fact that even when we try to interfere with God's plan, God always has a plan to get his plan back on track. The judges, God's people would rebel. They would rebel against him. They would turn their backs on him, and they would be conquered. They would realize, hey, I've messed up. God save us, and God would raise a judge up, and the judge would free them. And they'd be all happy with God for a while. Now all of a sudden, they get comfortable. They turn their backs on God. They start worshiping idols. They get taken into captivity. God, we screwed up. What are we going to do now? Sorry, God. Forgive us. He raises up a judge. We see in the Old Testament that no matter how many times we keep messing up, he always takes us back. Always. The old story of Gomer. The unfaithful wife. God is faithful when we aren't faithful. God always honors his, his, his promises. Everything he said he was going to do, he's done. That's why this was written down. It's to give us the strength that we need and the hope that we need. It's to teach us from the past mistakes 
and to show us the God that always shows up. Always shows up. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be lifting each other up. We should be asking for the mind of Christ. If we could all of a sudden get together and start getting along within this church, then all of a sudden we start getting along with the next church and the church after that and the church after that. And could you imagine what the city of Winchester or the town of Stephen City or the town of Middletonburg or town... Could you imagine what it would look like if all of us just started loving each other and lifting each other up and supporting one another and having the mind of Christ being central and focused to, uh, to exalt our Father in heaven and to save lost people? Could you imagine? I can't. And it's sad that I can't. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to adopt the attitude of Christ. How do we do that? We've talked about that in Romans. The renewing of our minds. How do we renew our minds? How do we get the attitude of Christ? How do we get to be one with, with the mind and the attitude of Christ? It's through the renewing of the mind. How? By, by taking this word and filling our minds up with what's in here so that the junk leaves. This is light. The stuff that's in our heads and our hearts may be dark, but when you fill it up with light, the darkness must flee. That's how you renew your mind. You fill it with this. You take your dysfunctional thinking and you replace it with right thinking. Get rid of your stinking thinking and give you Jesus thinking. And this is how you do it. This word, this word that Paul's talking about, it was written for our encouragement. It was written for us to learn. It was written for us to be more like Jesus. This should be your best friend. Let me tell you something I'm guilty of. This is just a product of being somebody who's taken more classes than they probably ever should have. Is that I have a tendency to read books about the Bible. That's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Self-help books, great. Commentaries, great. But they don't replace the Word of God. Buy your commentaries. Buy your self-help. I'm encouraging you to. But don't replace this with those books. You're not going to get your mind renewed with books about the Bible. You're going to get your mind renewed with the Bible. And that was the purpose for which God gave it to us. You realize they didn't, this didn't have to be written down. God could have just spoken to Israel through the prophets and, and it just be gone. It applied just then. And just let it go. It was written down for this very reason, that we may endure, that we may be strong, that we may be meat eaters and not just milk drinkers, that we may be encouragers. Can you imagine? You know, one of my very favorite people, 
in the New Testament is Barnabas. Why? Because he was an encourager. <laughs> do, you re- do you realize even when, even, even strong believers make mistakes about other believers, what was Paul's take on John Mark, the guy that wrote the book of Mark? What was Paul's take on him? They go on the missionary mission. They go on the journey. We think that Mark might have gotten homesick. We know he left. So then they go on another missionary journey. And, they, they, and John Mark wants to go again. Again, the guy that wrote the book of Mark. Close connections with Peter. Close connections with Barnabas. Close connections with Paul. Paul was like, I ain't taking him. He let me down. He let us down. I ain't taking him. And Barnabas was like, no, no, no. The, the son of encouragement was like, no, no, he's, he has value. He has worth. He is something special. We need to take him. And guess what? Barnabas and Paul parted ways. Because to be honest, in my opinion, Paul dropped the ball. That's something you don't hear very often. Barnabas didn't. Did John Mark have value? My God entrusted him to write the book of Mark. And I've given you the arguments of why I think that the book of Mark are the words of Peter. That it's Peter's take on what he saw and what he heard. Peter, if, if I'm right, and I believe the evidence is there, Peter obviously thought that he was somebody worth investing time in. If we could just be more like Barnabas. If we could just have that singular mind, that singular focus on the things of Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. We all had a job in this. We all had a role in this. Christ became the servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises of the patriarchs would be confirmed, and they were. And moreover, so that you and I, those of us that aren't biological Jewish folks, would be able to glorify God for his mercies. Jesus became the servant of all. The servant of all. There's another concept. What if we started serving each other? Serving those around us. Leadership classes teach servant leadership. Well, guess what? Jesus, he already did it. For it is written, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. I don't care if you are Jewish or Gentile. You have enjoyed the mercies of my God. You've engaged in the same new covenant with my Jesus. 
And we now together should be praising God as one people. Does the thing in Israel now, does it make more sense why it's so important? If you look, if you read all through the Old Testament, it was always God's plan to save the Gentiles through the Jews. If you listen to the words of Christ and the confirmation of Paul, it was always God's intention to make us one people. So if we're believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's our family that's being attacked right now. That's our brothers and our sisters. Those who have rejected Christ, they might not get that. It doesn't change the truth of the matter. And again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. As the time grows near, there will be a day that all of the people who've accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ will extol the name of the Lord together. It won't matter if you're white, black, brown, yellow, Red. It won't matter what tongue you spoke with when you were here on this earth. It doesn't matter if you spoke English, Spanish, French, Swahili, whatever. It doesn't matter. We will all come together as one at the table of my Jesus. Jews and Gentiles alike will extol the name of the Lord. We'll finish with this. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. I know I do. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. The root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse? Messiah Jesus. He sprang out. He sprang up from the house of David just as it was told. And because of him, Jews and Gentiles alike share in one covenant. I think it's even cooler than the Abrahamic one, and that's, that's pretty big. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus.